So welcome to Overlake. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I'd love to invite you to grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see we're jumping into a series. I'm very, very excited about what we're jumping into. We're jumping into a series on the book of Acts. We're going to go, there'll be a five weeks where we take a look. Now, we can't go through the entire book. It's such an incredible book. So I really do hope that we all choose to actually read through the book of Acts this month. As we jump in on weekends, we'll be talking about just some of the things that we see as God moves through his people, as he begins this incredible movement that we are still a part of today. So excited about what God's doing at Overlake Christian Church. By the way, I just want to say the weather has been fantabulous. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just heard yesterday that we've had over 40 days where the temperature has been over 80 degrees. Can we just say thanks to the Lord? Like, let's, that's all Him. That's not on me. We would have been doing that years ago if it was on me. It's all God. So, so stoked about that. And uh, yesterday, we had a great day with our leaders, uh, a one-day celebration where we did some training. We just had some great time together, worship and, uh, and fellowship. And, and I just want to say that the leaders at Overlake, the, the servants, the, the ministers at Overlake, and we've got hundreds and hundreds of you serving in ministry, it really is a picture of the book of Acts, like we're going to be talking about. If you're here and you're not yet plugged into a ministry, you need to know this is what God's calling us into. He's calling us all to be a part of the kingdom of God. So we'll see that. We'll, we'll jump into the book. What I want to do is I, I want to set the scene for the, the book of Acts because the book of Acts, it comes right after the four gospels in the New Testament. So the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts comes immediately after that, not only in sort of uh, like um, chronology as you're going through the New Testament, but it comes after that in the sense that it's what happens after. So Jesus is crucified on the cross, takes the punishment for all of our sin and our shame. He takes that on himself. He takes our sin. He gives us forgiveness. That's the work of Christ on the cross. Third day, he rose again from the dead. We celebrate this on Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. So he raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples, but not just his disciples. He appears, the Bible says, to over 500 living in Jerusalem, those who are following him. And he spends, this is not just like a moment like, oh, look, there was Jesus and he's gone. It, it 40 plus days, Jesus is with them. And he is eating with them, and he is teaching them, and he is walking the streets of Jerusalem again. Like, this is, this is not a, a quiet, off in some bunker in the desert kind of a thing. This is Jesus right in the middle of town, cruising around thing. And everybody who's following Jesus is interacting with him, and they're hearing his teaching. At the end of that time, he ascends to the Father to be with his Father in heaven. And before he does that, he gives the disciples a couple of last commands. Probably the most well-known is found in Matthew chapter 28, and we call that the Great Commission, where he tells his disciples, go into all the world and teach them to obey everything that I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make disciples. That's Jesus' Great Commission. But he also says, if you're filling in the blanks, he also says to his disciples, wait. Wait, before you do that thing, I want you 
just, just to cool it for a little bit. Hold on, hang out, right? Because you're going to receive something. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It's on the screen. It's on your notes. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 1 and 2 the whole day. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water. That's John the baptizer. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So he says, wait until this happens, until the Holy Spirit arrives. Wait until you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, this was not the first time that Jesus had referred to the Holy Spirit when he was teaching his disciples. So I I put it from John, the gospel. He's teaching his disciples in John 16. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. I want you to just resonate for a second at how powerful that teaching is. He's telling his disciples, look, I'm with you, and you think that's a good thing. But let me tell you what's even better than me with you. And that is me not with you, but the Holy Spirit with you. Okay? It just, it's revolutionary. It turns some things up, upside down. He's saying, look, there's going to be an advocate that comes. And that's one of the, the descriptors of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a few. Advocate meaning that he advocates for us and enables us to advocate for others. Some of the other descriptors, he's the counselor, that he counsels us, guides us, and leads us into truth. Uh, another descriptor, he's the comforter. That when we are discouraged and down, he is the restorer and the rejuvenator, and he comforts us and encourages us. Uh, Another role that he plays is convictor, that he brings conviction of our sin, leading us into repentance before the Lord so that we confess our sin and turn from it. And then he is the lifter of our head, that he encourages us again and pours courage back into us. And, And what Jesus is saying here is, wait, the time is short. Just hold on. There are exciting days ahead. These are days that will literally transform the rest of your life, change the trajectory that you are now on. They're going to revolutionize the entire planet. But just hold on. Wait. Wait for a few more days. And so here we have a couple of more days pass. We get to the day of Pentecost. And if you're filling in the blanks, this is the day that the Holy Spirit comes. This is the day that God sends the advocate. This is the day where all of the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And there are so few times in history when we actually have the ability to point to a singular day. This is the day. This is the moment that everything changed. But this is one of those times, friends. So here we are on the day of Pentecost. All the believers were meeting together in one place. By the way, I I have actually um, had the privilege of leading a trip to Israel and being in this room. And it is just such an incredible thing to, to know that, you know, connecting with history and connecting with our faith story in such a way, this is where the movement began. They, they were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
So I, I want you to notice that because instantly now something is very strange that's going on. Um, it says there, there's this mighty roaring. There's, it's like, like, a, like an incredible windstorm that's happening. Um, it's, it's from heaven, but it's not wind because if it was wind, they'd be like, oh, the wind started blowing, but it's, it wasn't wind. There was no wind. It just was the rushing sound of wind. And they're like, oh, that's odd. Peter, is that you? You know, like what's going on here? And then it keeps going on. It says, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, Again, like I said, I've been into this upper room. I've seen the moment where this happened. I, I, I've just sort of pictured what it looks like in that moment when they hear this amazing rushing sound and they're kind of confused by that. Then all of a sudden, they see these tongues of fire come and they're like, you know, this is, it's odd. I've not seen that before. And uh, what did you have for dinner last night? And uh, this is, you know, it's, uh, but then they notice as these flames of fire on their heads, but not consuming them. It's not burning them. It's just there, then they're beginning to speak in languages that they did not know, other languages, other tongues that they did not learn or grow up speaking. And I, I bring all this up because I want you to see that this is the first moment where the Holy Spirit invades the lives of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Everyone believing in Jesus Christ, receives the Holy Spirit coming and living within them. Now, it's not that this is the first time in the Bible we see the Holy Spirit make an appearance. Because as we read through the Old Testament, we note that there are many times throughout the history of God with his people in Israel that, that the Holy Spirit showed up. The very first of which is in Genesis chapter 1 where the Holy Spirit of God is a part of creation, hovering over the waters. And so we see that there are these moments, these instances where the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, for example, when David is anointed by Samuel to be the king, the Holy Spirit comes and is present on David's life. Or Samson, after his hair is cut and he's in bondage, the Holy Spirit comes and strengthens him one last time. And we can see that the Holy Spirit comes upon Isaiah to preach. And there are these times where the Spirit will come uniquely and specifically for a person in a season, and it's a beautiful thing. But now, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, do you remember what happened on that Friday? When Jesus died, there was this curtain in the temple, and the curtain was to separate the presence of God from ordinary people, ordinary sinners. And what happened on that day was when Jesus was crucified, the curtain was ripped. And the Bible's very specific to say it was ripped from top to bottom. It did not rip from the bottom to the top. This was not a work of humans tearing the curtain apart. It ripped from the top to the bottom. This was God tearing apart the separation that existed between God and his beloved people. And so now, because of the work of Christ on the cross, because now sin has been forgiven, grace has now been offered to all those who trust in Christ, now the presence of God is what? With his people. And the Holy Spirit is now free to come and dwell within each and every one of us. And so this is the first moment that this is now taking place, this, this new era of what's happening between God and his people. Let's keep reading in verse 5. 
At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained, exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native tongues. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia. <laughs> you can read the next couple there. Uh, uh, Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. So underline that. They're listening in their own tongue about all the wonderful things that God has done. That's what the believers are proclaiming. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. Why did Jesus tell his disciples to wait? Because God was gathering all of the nations to Jerusalem so that in exactly the right moment, the Holy Spirit would come and invade the lives of the believers and they would proclaim the wonderful things that God has done. They would begin to share the good news and this would be exponential around the world. Because all of these believers would go back to these other places where they lived and they would then proclaim the wonderful things that God has done. God knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he said, wait, because just wait, Peter, wait, wait, disciples, wait, don't go now, don't, don't, don't go yet, because there's going to be a moment when we gather all the nations and you're going to proclaim to them God's goodness in their own language. You don't know how this is going to happen, I'll take care of that, but just wait for one second, okay? And that's what God's doing behind the scene. Friends, we can trust God. And keep going, it says, but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other disciples and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. You know, I, I'm so glad the Bible's clear on this point. As if there were confusion, right? It's like, you know, I don't care what time the Seahawks game starts, 9 o'clock, too early to be drunk. There's a reason why Jimmy Buffett didn't sing. You know, it's 9 o'clock somewhere, right? Like that's, no, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett, that's kind of old. I know, I'm showing my age. All right, Peter continues to go on. He says, no, no, no. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. That's a key phrase. Pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. What I want you to see about this, this passage is that no one is excluded. It's intergenerational, first off. Your young men and your old men are a part of this thing. 
It's, uh, uh, you know, you got your men included, your women included, your sons included, your daughters included. Everyone is included. The Holy Spirit of God being poured out upon all. And so this is consistent with everything that is taught in historic Christianity and certainly what we teach at Overlake. That when you say yes to a relationship of love with God, you trust Jesus with your sin. We call this, the big word that kind of oversees all of this is the word salvation. When we participate and receive his gift of salvation, then the spirit of God comes and dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. And there are a couple of things that happen. Number one, he begins to work in us so that we would produce his fruit. You can read about this in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit. But this is where he begins to work in us to develop our character so that it will become like the character of Jesus Christ. The, 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 The process that's going on is called the process of sanctification, that we already are saved that we already are believers, that we already are forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but yet we all still have some work to do. So we cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God and we seek to develop the character within us, the fruit of the Spirit within us, so that we will become more like Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all from Galatians 5. And then from other passages in the New Testament, we see there are additional elements of the Holy Spirit working within us, creating things like Christ-likeness or godliness, godlikeness, and humility, compassion, thankfulness, contentment, perseverance, etc., And by the way, my goal is not to give an exhaustive list of the fruits of the Spirit, but simply to tell you, no matter where we are in this faith journey, there's still some distance for us to go. As you read through that list of the fruit of the Spirit, it's pretty evident that you'll come across a couple of different things and you'll go, ooh, I need some work there. Oh, that's that's not strong in my life. And, And so that gives us opportunity to, again, to yield ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in us so that we might produce more and more of his fruit. The Holy Spirit also comes not just to work his fruit in our lives, but he comes bearing gifts. So the Spirit comes and he brings a spiritual gift. And it's interesting, and there's actually quite a lot of discussion about this, if you, if you care to wade into it. Does he bring one gift for all time? Does he come, and does he provide the opportunity for gifts? It's, you know, there's a lot of discussion around it, but the truth is that there are spiritual gifts. These are literally gifts from God that he comes and invests within us. And if you want to read some of these, they're found in Galatia, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and, and I'll just give you a few, preaching, teaching, administration, hospitality, generosity, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, discernment, prophecy, etc. okay? Again, not an exhaustive list, just a, a, something to get, get us going here. But these are gifts that we receive from him, okay? And my desire is not to do a full exhaustive discussion of all of the gifts or all of the fruit that the Spirit brings, But I do want to point out a couple of things. If you're filling in the blanks, the first is that the Spirit dwells within believers bearing gifts so we might serve. 
He, he brings us a gift. This is not for our own, like, collection. It's not for us to hoard. It's so that there might be an outworking of his gift in our life, through our life, that we would cooperate with his spirit so that we could live fruitful and beautiful lives, serving God and serving others, uh, living a useful, influential life that impacts people for eternity. Second thing we see is that the spirit's fruit is given for our edification and It's for our edification. It would be silly to talk about the Spirit working his fruit out in our life in such a way that it doesn't build us up. Of course it does. You think about how good it would be to live a life where you're filled with his love and you're filled with his joy. You're just overflowing with his peace, right? You've got all this patience. You're incredibly gentle, You've got all of this self-control, right? It's, there's just faithfulness just flowing through. Like you can imagine how good it would be to have all of the fruit of God's spirit completely evident, manifest in your life. Of course that would be good for you. And it would be really good for your marriage. So it's not just good for you. It's not just to build you up, edify you. But if, if you were really that kind of a person, think how much your spouse would rejoice. And think how that would change the tenor of your home. And think about how that would impact those people that you work with or that you're in a classroom with. And think how that would change the atmosphere of your neighborhood and all of the relationships and friendships that you have, the influence that you have. And do you see how this goes? That God has given us the ability to have a domain. Each and every one of us, we have a domain. That's the the place in our life, in our world, that we have influence over, that we have influence within. And within that domain, we are given the fruit of God's spirit to work out in our own lives so that it will make a difference everywhere we are. Everywhere under our domain, we see the fruit of God's spirit. So for example, 1 Corinthians 12 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help one another. There's always a so that. There's always a what for. So the spirit comes within us, bearing fruit, bearing gifts, so that there will be an outworking in our lives. I do just want to point right back to the Acts passage we just read. The, um, the, the believers suddenly can speak languages that they did not grow up speaking. Somebody's speaking Italian, and somebody's speaking Egyptian, and somebody's speaking Phrygian, and, uh, and they're all speaking these languages, and what they did not go immediately out and do is start a language school, begin to make money, you know, teaching people how to speak these other languages. No, no, they used that gift for the purposes of the kingdom so that everyone there could hear about the wonderful things that God had been doing. And then the last fill-in right here, number three, God's spirit releases passion, passion. Now, there's, <laughs> there's so much passion that we are invited into as followers of Jesus Christ. Passion for life and passion for God and passion for joy, passion for people, passion for the word, passion for God's kingdom to come. Friends, life is way too short to live without passion. 
We are called to be enthusiastic people. And the reason why I know this is because the actual word enthusiasm, it comes from two Greek words. E-N, in, means in. Theos means God. The word enthusiasm, I looked this up earlier. You're glad to know your, your pastor studies. Uh, I, I looked this up. And I found that the original definition of the word enthusiasm meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I am telling you, friends, that the Holy Spirit comes to release our passion. And I know some of us, we're here today, we, we're not feeling it. We're like, oh, church better be good. I hope he's funny, you know. Oh, it's not about what we get, right? It's about what we can be a part of, what we can contribute to, how we are filled and how we can live. So can I get an amen or can I get a... Okay, all right, good. Okay, so there's all this passion available and certainly Peter, as he's preaching, he's being filled with the Spirit. He's passionate as he's presenting these truths and he wraps it up. It's Acts chapter 2 in its entirety. I would love for you to read it this week. We don't have time to go into all of the ways that he does the nuances of preaching, but he gets to his conclusion near the end of the chapter, verse 36. So he says, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah, right? He's, he's saying, look, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. God the Father has done this through the crucifixion. By the way, you guys crucified him. How do you feel? I hope you feel a little bad. You should feel bad. And he's going over this as he's coming to his conclusion. And look what happened. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, who taught Peter to teach that? Jesus ever go through, Peter, I'm going to be gone someday, and when I do, you're going to preach, and here are the things you're going to preach. You need to preach uh, repentance of sins. You need to turning to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have that anywhere? Has that ever been covered before? Who told Peter to preach this? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling a believer, guiding him into truth. And then he says, this promise is to you, Jerusalem, to you people, Jews, God followers from all over the world, to you, to your children, and to those far away, even living in Seattle, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. By the way, I forgot to fill in. Some of you are freaking out right now. It's the incredible results fill in, and the results are the church. It's the church. 
This is the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of an unstoppable movement that started 2,000 years ago and will continue to roll forward, gathering steam, gathering trajectory, gathering all sorts of transformation and life change and redemption until the final day when God calls us all to be home with him forever and ever. So that's what's happening in one day. We see the arrival of the Holy Spirit and we see the beginning of the church, this beautiful expression of the kingdom of God on planet earth. And I want to say this is, this is where we've talked about before because there's this problem in our language. And the problem is you drive by Willows Road and you are tempted to point out the window and you say, oh, look, it's Overlake Christian Church. Uh, no, it's not. This is the airplane hangar where we meet, but this is not the church, right? This location is not the church. Uh, the, the brick and mortar is not the church. The reason why we have this misconception in our world today actually goes back hundreds of years to the word church. The word church comes from a Germanic word, kirche. Bless you. <laughs> and it refers to the actual church. Here's a church and here's a steeple. Open the door. Where are the people? That's a problem in language. The word church was never meant to designate a location or a structure. The word church in the first four or five hundred years of the use of the word was the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia means twofold. It means the gathered, the gathering, and the sent ones those who are gathered together by God and those who are sent out by God. That's the church. You're the church. I'm the church. We're the church. You're a beautiful church, by the way. Yeah, it's this beautiful thing that begins. And it's so exciting. And I want to tell you, on that day, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 lives were transformed for all of eternity. But in that moment, Jerusalem was transformed. Because all of a sudden, you've got all these fired up, Holy Spirit-filled people running around telling everybody about all the good things that God's doing, all the good things that God's up to, all of the ways that God loves each and every one of us. Jerusalem was changed. And I would say the world was changed and began to be changed. It took 300 years before Christ had been preached kind of all around in all the known civilizations. And then, of course, Western history. You cannot study Western history without understanding the person of Christ. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we are still being a part of what started on that day on Pentecost, the kingdom of God breaking out all over. It broke out on that day and it continues to break out. The spirit of the Lord continues to move and to stir, finding the least and the lost, caring for the orphan and the widow, opening schools and hospitals and rescue missions, wrapping arms around the lonely, truly loving our parishes and blessing our cities, wanting the very best for each and every person we come in contact with. All of that is a part of the work and the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. Everything. And I, I, I want to focus on this concept because it sort of comes into vogue and then out of vogue depending on what you're reading, who you're talking to. But it's this phrase we use all the time at Overlake about having a personal relationship with the Lord. And so I, I, I want to just be very, very clear about this. It is absolutely biblical that you understand the Lord of the universe wants a personal relationship with you. Humans were created by God 
to be in intimate relationship with him. Sin has come and destroyed that reality. Christ then came to destroy the power of sin. And the Holy Spirit of God is sent to be in the life of a believer so that we can be in intimate relationship with God, just like we were intended to be in the very first place. So I, I want you to see this. Now, this is not just sort of systematic theology. This is what Jesus says. This is how close the relationship is supposed to be. In John 15, 14, Jesus says, he, he says, the Holy Spirit will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. What does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit is coming, living within us to communicate to us, to guide us and to, to lead us, to be in relationship with us. Now, we talk about being in a relationship with God and, 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 and sort of we miss this somehow. And I wanna say it, it's because we tend to, as humans, we choose what's easier. It's so much easier to have like 10 beliefs that we just sign on the dotted line and then like we're in and we believe those things and then we're done. This is why legalism is always a problem in the church. It's just so much easier to have like three rules we follow, five rules we follow. You know, if you're like reformed, it's like 18,000 rules we follow. But it's like, you know, it's, it's just easier to know, oh, if I follow these, I'm in, it's good. But I want to tell you, there's, there's no life there. You know what God's inviting us into? It's called an adventure of relationship. Where we actually listen to God and we obey him. We submit to him, yield to him, and then hear from him. Many of us have a great prayer life. We're, we're really good at talking to God. We just tell him all the time. He's had thousands of years of people talking. He's heard some great orators, by the way, right? Better than we. We talk to God all the time, but are we listening to God? Do, do we want to hear from the Holy Spirit? The Spirit's going to tell us what? What Jesus is saying. This is a relationship. If I, if I can just kind of paint the, the, sort of the difference. Like there was a day when like I married my wife and I stood before other people. I said, ah, I love you and let's be married. And so we, we signed something that day, right? So covenant, done. She's written me letters. I have letters from when we were dating. You know, I could like just read the letters. That's cool. It's good to read the Bible of God's love to you. That's cool. It's good to know that. You have to. This is his word to you. You got to know it. But if I never talked to my wife because I thought, oh, I got the letters. That's all I need. Yeah, a couple of you giggling. You're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know, Jody. That's not good, right? <laughs> it's a relationship. The relationship is intimate. That we talk to God, we listen to God. I heard a story from one of the pastors on our team, Pastor Neely, who was in our student ministries, and she was working with student leaders, and she gave him an exercise where they were just to listen to God. And she'd sent them off, and she said, ask God two questions. Ask him, God, what do you want me to hear, and what do you want me to see? What would you like me to hear, and what would you like me to see? And then write it down. And so they all went off and they all did this exercise. They're just spending time with the Lord. And, and one of the girls felt like she was hearing something from God. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. So she just wrote it down and she brought it back to Neely at the end of that. And the student leader said, I, I felt like I was hearing God tell me to listen to the one with writing on her arms. It didn't make any sense. And so Neely, you know, just talked about it, said, well, let's keep our eyes open. Let's see what God does. And two weeks later, that student leader was at a camp 
she went to meet all of her small group, her small group girls in that camp, and they took her phone and they started taking selfies with her phone. Uh, it, it happens. And uh, after about 300 selfies that were being taken in that moment, um, she got her phone back and, and was kind of flipping through the pictures. And in one of the pictures, the girl who was holding the camera out and snapped the photo, and there were writing all over her arms. And so she went to that girl and started connecting with her and started drawing her out. And there was this incredible God story unfolding for both of them. For the girl with writing on her arms, she needed that care and that encouragement, and it made a difference in her life. But to the student leader, it was an adventure that she was on with God because God had told her, I want you to watch out for this. I want you to be open to this. I want you to be listening for what's going on. So I want you to see, I want to be the person who sees that every day of our lives, the Holy Spirit is available to be saying something like, speak kindness here today. Gently serve here today. Open your home to this need today. Give of your heart to this issue today. We need the Spirit, right? We need him. And some of us don't experience God's spirit very much, and, and we want to. And so the question comes, well, why not? Is, is God's spirit really not around us? Is he not present with us? And, and I'm convinced that's not the answer. Scripture is very clear that God's spirit fully available to us. I think the problem's on our end. I think when I am full of my own sufficiency and I don't have dependency, then I'm not very receptive. I think when I'm focused on talking to God about the things that I need to communicate, I think I'm not very receptive to the things that God wants to communicate to me because I'm not listening. John mentioned it earlier. I don't know what it looks like to be fully yielded to the Spirit, but I want to take that adventure. And I encourage you to do the same. What does it look like to be fully yielded to the Holy Spirit of God? so that we're listening to him, that we're, we're exploring cooperation with him as he develops his fruit in our life, that we're exploring the gifts that he's brought to us so that we can impact the kingdom of God. And as we pour our lives out and wade into the muck of this world, then we will be renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's where his comforter comes and he restores us to intimacy through worship, through his presence in our corporate gatherings, restores our enthusiasm and releases our passion to bring the kingdom. And we've seen this over like all summer long, so many of you in many different life groups, you've been going out into the community. You've been serving in different elementary schools. You've been investing in special delivery. You've been opening your homes, throwing block parties, inviting neighbors in, caring for your parish, blessing your city. I just want to reiterate, this is all the work of the Holy Spirit, working through you, working the kingdom out through your life. And this last fill-in, this is probably the most important thing we've covered today. It's that this whole thing is authored, sustained, and perfected by God himself. This is all a part of God's story that he is writing throughout history and through our lives. Paul says this in Philippians 1.6. I, I put the message version because I wanted you to hear it in a fresh way. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Friends, you can trust God. 
because he's the one who authored your faith journey. He's the one that began the church. He's the one that will bring it to a flourishing finish on that last day when we're all called to be with him forever and ever, and he's the one who will sustain it in the meanwhile. Authored, sustained, and perfected by God himself. And as I wrap this up, I I do recognize that there might be, there is some skepticism in in some hearts around the room. I, I get it. Because whenever you start talking about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about almighty, eternal God, right? We, we, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This concept is called the Trinity. It's hard for us to get our minds around. And this idea that almighty God, his spirit comes and dwells within us, it's just hard for us. It, we wrestle with it. We don't understand it. So a lot of times, what we don't understand, we're just skeptical about. And I get that. But let me illustrate this truth you might not understand with an analogy that I do not understand, okay? Just, you know, for clarity's sake. <laughs> electricity. I want you to think about electricity for a moment. I, I confess to you, I do not comprehend electricity. I, I don't understand. It, it boggles. Now, I've seen lightning. Uh, I know that we generate electricity, you know, hydroelectric power, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, but but I, there's so much about it that I just, it freaks me out. I do not understand. I don't understand how you're electric. We are bioelectric like that. I, there's just so much. I just start thinking about it. I just can't even do it. However, my lack of comprehension does not prevent me from having a really functional working relationship with electricity. (laughs) I enjoy this relationship every single day of my life. Flip on a light switch, plug in my laptop, start my car, throw clothes in the dryer. I mean, again and again and again, everything, right? There's so many connecting points in my day to the thing that I have absolutely no comprehension about. And it bothers me not at all. <laughs> the other day, I was getting ready for the morning and uh, kind of moving around the kitchen. And I put some bread in the toaster. I depressed the, uh, the little button there. And, um, you know, I, was, I think I was unloading the dishwasher. I unloaded the dishwasher for a few minutes. And I saw my, uh, my bread wasn't popped up yet. So I, I kept moving around the kitchen. Finally, I'm like, man, that's taking a long time. So I go over, I hit the button, it pops up. And I, I discovered that my toast was surprisingly soft and not warm. And then I looked, and it was because the toaster had been unplugged. You already knew that. As you jumped ahead. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, it's unplugged. But here's the truth, and I want you to write this down because you're going to think about this for weeks and weeks to come. When the toaster is unplugged, no toast. Just write that down. You, you will, three weeks from now, you'll be like, oh, the toast. Yeah, I, I get it. It's unplugged, no toast, right? When the toaster is not connected to the source of power, no toast. And so I want to say very clearly, friends, that the church, my faith, your faith, my life, without connection to the power source, there is no toast, and there is no life, and there is no love, there is no fruit, and there are no gifts. But the Lord himself is the power, investing himself 
into each and every one of us for intimacy and for relationship, for our loving and our serving and our living so that his kingdom can be revealed to us and through us in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our parishes and in his church. His kingdom comes and will continue to come and will continue to roll. The movement that he started 2,000 years ago is an unstoppable force and the only one that can stop it is God himself when he calls us all home. And that is a beautiful story and Overlake, that's what you are a part of. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just thank God that we get to be a part of this great, incredible story. Jesus, first and foremost, we wanna thank you for loving us and for calling us by name. We want to thank you for your saving work on the cross that you have saved us, forgiven us, graced us. All of our sin and shame you've removed. Everything we've ever done that's made us feel guilty. Everything we've ever done to hurt ourselves, to wound others. Jesus, you take it from us on the cross. We're so thankful for that. In its place, you give us your forgiveness, your righteousness, and you also give us the Holy Spirit. And so we just breathe deeply now, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is in us, dwelling with us. Spirit, we yield our lives because we want more of your fruit. We want our lives to be characterized more and more by the things that you're developing in us, the character of Christ. Holy Spirit, we want more of your gifts. We wanna, we wanna know what our gifts are. We wanna serve well, we want, to, we want to bring the kingdom well with the gifts that you bring us. And Lord, we want to recognize right now that because you dwell inside of us, that we can never be alone. We can never be abandoned. We can never be forsaken because you have said that you are with us to the end of the age. And we just hold on to that as such incredible hope and power. Thank you for being our power source today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.